Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's episode is perimenopause, what the H-E-L-L, and I don't want to say that swear word just because it might make this an explicit podcast, but perimenopause is a really important time to dedicate an entire podcast to, and this is because there are so many specific and different questions that arise during perimenopause. I spend a lot of consults with my patients talking about perimenopause, what it means, what it is, and how we're going to treat it and get you through it, especially if you're really suffering. So if you're going through perimenopause, if you're wondering about perimenopause, if you're wondering how perimenopause affects the transition into menopause, this podcast is for you. If you have listened to any of my podcasts before, then you know I like to do things in tens. So we're going to go over 10 really important aspects about perimenopause. We're going to define what it is. We're going to talk about how long it can last. We're going to talk about the most common symptoms. We're going to talk about how we can treat it. Why should we treat it? And also cover why perimenopause can sometimes be much worse than menopause. So sit back, relax, and listen in. So starting with the very first point, what the H-E-L-L is perimenopause. And the reason I really wanted to call it this is because when I see women who are in perimenopause, they really say, what in the heck is going on with me? All of a sudden, I went from really high functioning to having a lot of very confusing and different symptoms than I did ever before. They may say they have a lot more anxiety that is way above their baseline. They may have new onset of trouble sleeping. They may have the beginning of a weight gain, the beginning of hot flashes, the beginning of a lot of irritation, trouble at work. Maybe this is spilling into trouble with their family members. So perimenopause is a really important time to define for uh, you, the listener, and as well as for the general population. Perimenopause is the time leading up to menopause. So I usually draw a little diagram for my patients and I point to the ovaries and I say your ovaries make pretty much all the estrogen in your body. Now, when they completely sort of go to sleep and you don't make any estrogen anymore, or again, you can call this by the textbook, one year of no bleeding, that is the definition of menopause. But leading up to that time when the ovaries kind of start to think about packing things away, that is when perimenopause can begin. Now, this can be very quick for some women. This can be a year or so. And for some women, this can be up to 10 years. So you could have a particularly short or a particularly long perimenopausal course. So again, perimenopause is the time leading up to menopause when the systemic levels of estrogen start to decline. And not only as they start to decline, but the swings in estrogen levels can become very erratic. So you can have a surge of estrogen and then it can come crashing down. This makes it a lot different than when you were having regular periods and your estrogen would, for most women, go up nicely every month and go down in a nice sort of cyclic wave pattern. So perimenopause is when those hormones really start to do whatever they want and they can be very erratic swings and that is what can make this time so frustrating. Women feel a loss of control very commonly and it is really 
physiologic. There is a physiologic basis to why you probably feel that way. So if you know this and we can give you good coping skills, it's going to make this transition much easier for you. So to answer the first question, perimenopause is the time leading up to menopause. And to answer number two, how long can it last? Anywhere from about one year to sometimes up to 10 years. Now, if symptoms do start in perimenopause, for example, one of the most common is hot flashes. This is important to know and tell your provider because this often means that menopause might be more severe for you. And you do want to know that because if you do need treatment to improve your quality of life, improve your overall functioning and health, you want to let your providers know that you're experiencing really symptomatic hot flashes. To me, there's nothing healthy about tossing and turning all night, getting up multiple times to shower, to change your clothes, or if you're sitting in a meeting and you can't focus and your heart is racing and you're hot flashing, there's nothing healthy about it. So please make sure you talk to your doctor about it. And as always, you can always look up the NAMS website, the North American Menopause Society, to see if there's a NAMS provider that is close to you in your location. Now, number three is the importance of your family history. You do tend to follow your mother's pattern, so it is really important to try to open conversations with any of your family members who would be willing to do so. I would start by asking your mother if she's available or if she's still living to understand what her menopause was like. Did she have a particularly long perimenopause? Did she have a lot of symptoms when she was postmenopausal? Did she take any hormone therapy? If you open those dialogues and have those conversations, you might be more prepared for your own transition through perimenopause and into menopause. If that's not an option, that's okay as well. If you have any siblings, sisters, you might want to ask them if they're older or if they're younger. You don't always follow your mother's pattern. Most of the time you do. But if you don't, you might have an aunt, for example, and you might say, me and my aunt are exactly alike. We both have hypothyroidism and anxiety. You might want to see if your aunt is available. Back to your sisters. You might also want to ask your sisters. They might have some really important conversations with you about how their transition was. So moving on. What are the most common symptoms of perimenopause? This is a hard one because common is not a great word to describe perimenopause. But if I had to, the most common symptoms are as follows. First, periods can become irregular. They can be shorter. They can be longer. They can be really different from your baseline. So it's not uncommon that periods become more troublesome because either they're spacing out or they're too close together and they become really heavy. Now, heavy periods in particular is something that I really care about because I do find that women sometimes are given options that are pretty extreme, for example, surgery or an ablation. There are some medical things that you can do before you go to surgery that I definitely recommend that you try since surgery is one, pretty invasive, and two, it is permanent. So in terms of medications for irregular bleeding in perimenopause, the first is birth control pills. Again, if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you might know that I hate the name birth control pills. And I think it's because that name reduces women to only our reproductive potential. I have prescribed birth control pills for women who have had a tubal ligation or their husbands have had vasectomies and they're not using them for contraception. 
but what they're using them for is to stabilize their steady dose of daily hormone levels so that their brain stops making those erratic swings in estrogen levels. That sometimes helps to control those abnormal or heavy bleedings in the perimenopausal state. Another option that you can try that I would definitely recommend before going to surgery is a Mirena IUD or another progesterone-releasing IUD. The IUD works by releasing progesterone locally into the uterus. That, over time, helps to thin the uterine lining so that periods become very light or you have no periods at all. This is also another good option. And again, even if you've had a tubal ligation or your husband's had a vasectomy, I'm not using it for contraception. I'm using it as a method to decrease that erratic, abnormal, or heavy perimenopausal bleeding that can be extremely frustrating. And for many of my patients, this has really helped. And so these are two options that you can consider if you're having abnormal or heavy bleeding in the perimenopausal period. Hot flashes can also start during perimenopause. So it is very common that even while you're having abnormal bleeding or even just regular periods, still as you're entering closer to the transition to menopause that you start developing hot flashes or trouble sleeping at night or a change in your mood, particularly in terms of increasing anxiety, generalized anxiety, which is just worrying about everything and very commonly irritability. And these mood issues may also be stemming from a change in your sleeping pattern, meaning you used to be able to sleep really well. And now very commonly I hear my patients say they can no longer fall asleep very easily because they are up worrying. And again, I do think that there is a physiologic basis behind this brain change, meaning those changing levels or those sporadic levels of estrogen in perimenopause are making your brain a little more irritated, which is making you a little more irritated. Another particularly very debilitating symptom I see worsening in perimenopause is migraines. Again, I strongly believe that the brain is very sensitive to the changing levels in estrogen. As those levels are becoming more erratic in perimenopause, that can really set the brain off and really trigger more debilitating, more common and frequent migraines. This is a really big quality of life issue for women in perimenopause. As I often say, women in their early 40s, late 40s, or early 50s are at the peak of their careers or they are extremely busy, they're taking care of children, maybe also taking care of parents, taking care of their homes, and they're extremely busy. And so migraines can be one of the most frustrating and debilitating issues for women around perimenopause. I highly recommend if you don't have a great specialist in your area, seeking out a migraine specialist who knows all the latest in migraines for women. While I don't classify myself as a migraine specialist, I do see so many women in perimenopause suffering with migraines, and there are a few things that I do recommend. First, add some magnesium at bedtime. I usually recommend 250 to 500 milligrams of magnesium oxide at bedtime. Also, try adding a little bit of riboflavin, that is B2, about 50 milligrams at bedtime. Always keep a migraine diary so that you better understand what triggers your migraines. They could be menstrual migraines, meaning they're worse right before you're going to get your period. They could be triggered by the weather. They could be triggered by certain foods, or you could be the unfortunate woman where most of these trigger your migraines. 
Another option that I strongly consider that you could ask your primary care doctor about is neck physical therapy. And you may be thinking, what would that have to do with my migraines? But the more I have been in this field, the more I think about the physiology of pregnancy, the physiology of carrying toddlers and children, a lot of hip pain can extend to be chronic neck pain and chronic neck pain can of course cause migraines. So definitely consider advocating for starting neck physical therapy. And if they are particularly bad, meaning you have a migraine more than once every week, I would strongly encourage you to seek out care from a migraine specialist. Another common but rare symptom in perimenopause can be the onset of vertigo or dizziness. I see this a lot because there are estrogen receptors even in your ears, and that can change the equilibrium, making you feel really dizzy as your estrogen level is starting to decline in perimenopause. Joint aches and pains, new onset of joint aches and pains can also be something that starts in perimenopause. There are also other things like vaginal dryness or painful intercourse, and sometimes some other very uncommon symptoms of perimenopause. But Everyone is different, so if something new is developing in your body, make note of it. So going on to number five, how can you treat symptoms of perimenopause? So this can be really frustrating and difficult. This is why I often tell my patients menopause in some ways is a lot easier to treat and control than perimenopause. And this is because in menopause, you don't make any estrogen anymore. And if you're symptomatic, we give you a very low dose of postmenopausal estrogen and if you need it, a progestin. And that typically helps to cover the symptoms of menopause. But in perimenopause, you're still making some estrogen. You're making some sporadic and erratic levels of estrogen. Some days you have a lot, some days you have none. And this is what makes perimenopause so difficult to control. One option that I often give my patients is, again, the use of birth control pills. There is a growing front of providers, physicians, patients who are really not trusting of birth control pills, but I will go out on a limb to say I'm not one of those. Birth control pills can be a really good option for several years to smooth the transition of perimenopause if it's very difficult for you. Now, explaining how birth control pills work and can mask some of these symptoms is really helpful. So again, you are making some estrogen at sporadic or random levels in perimenopause. When I give birth control pills, this is a pill that has estrogen and progesterone in it. When you take that pill, your brain wakes up every morning and sniffs around and says, oh, there's already estrogen around. So I guess I'm not going to worry about making whatever level I feel like making. I will go work on some other hormone like my thyroid. And that then happens every day to help you steady that level of estrogen and progesterone. And so ultimately those levels become really nice and steady. If you can, I recommend taking the birth control pill on a continuous basis. And by continuous, I mean you take an active pill every single day. When you get to those placebo pills or the fake pills or the sugar pills, you throw that pack away and you start a new one. This avoids that drop in estrogen level for either four or seven days, depending on what your pill looks like, and just keeps it nice and steady. You can do this if you don't have any troublesome breakthrough bleeding. Some of my patients do, and therefore they do need a little break every month. 
If you don't have any breakthrough bleeding, this means that the uterine lining is staying really thin, so there's nothing that builds up and there's nothing that needs to shed. This reduces menstrual flow, reduces cramping associated with your menses, and swings in hormone levels that are particularly troublesome and symptomatic to women in perimenopause. You can't take birth control pills if you have hypertension that's uncontrolled. You can't take birth control pills if you are a smoker. So these are all more reasons to work on quitting smoking. Some of my patients have had particularly bad experiences with birth control pills in their 20s or 30s. Now, one thing I will go over is that the dose of estrogen in the birth control pills is significantly reduced from what it was probably 20, 30, or even 40 years ago. This lower dose, one, definitely decreases the risk of blood clot, but also can reduce bothersome symptoms of some systemic high estrogen levels, such as breast tenderness, or if you felt that birth control pills caused you to have mood changes, these lower doses typically don't. And a large study recently came out in 2017 found that birth control pills do not have a real change in your mood. Most likely it's a placebo effect, or it's a change in mood that otherwise would have happened if you didn't take the birth control pills, but because it happened around the same time, you tend to blame the birth control pills. Another great option is an 84-day pack. So this comes in an active pill every 84 days, and then you have a shedding or you have a placebo pill that you take for a week. This is another good option if it's confusing to throw out the birth control pills or your insurance won't let you do that. One way we can get around that is by using an 84-day pill such as Seasonique, which is a very common one you may have heard of. On that topic, Natasia is a birth control that has FDA approval to use for abnormal uterine bleeding, which is that erratic or heavy bleeding in perimenopause. That's another one that I often prescribe and find really good results with. Some of my patients absolutely refuse to use birth control pills, and that's okay. Another option is to try just oral natural progesterone at bedtime. Sometimes by giving some progesterone, we may be balancing some of the excess estrogen. The progesterone can also help you feel a little sleepy and maybe sleep better at night and can sometimes also help control the abnormal uterine or heavy uterine bleeding by protecting that uterine lining. Another option again is a progesterone releasing IUD and this can not help with systemic levels of erratic hormones, but it can stop abnormal or heavy uterine bleeding that is troublesome. And I discussed that earlier. Now, there are times in perimenopause when I will have success and use postmenopausal doses of hormone therapy, particularly if you are in late perimenopause, early menopause. And that's sometimes difficult to tease out. It definitely takes a good history of what's been going on over the past couple years or months. Late perimenopause is if periods are really, really spacing out and lab work can be also helpful at this time. If you have already had an ablation or if you've had a hysterectomy, but your intact ovaries have been functioning and you think you're in perimenopause, you're really going to have to stick with your symptoms and keep a really good symptom diary and use lab work to help you and your provider figure out if you're in early, late perimenopause or early or late menopause. So again, if you are in late perimenopause, early menopause, sometimes postmenopausal doses of estrogen and a progestin, if you need it, if you have an intact uterus, do work really well. 
sometimes if they don't, then we might need to go back to using higher doses or higher levels, which are birth control pills to help steady and stop your brain from making those swings in estrogen levels. There's definitely also some out-of-the-box ideas that I use, and this is particularly helpful if I've had a consultative meeting with you and I learn more about your priorities and what symptoms are affecting you the most. Moving on, will this treatment affect menopause? And this is a really important point that I want to make sure you understand. You are going to go into menopause whenever you are predetermined or predestined to go into menopause. You can think of this as your ovaries know their expiration date, even though they might not be telling you. Let's use the example of my patient who does want to take birth control pills. When she takes birth control pills, that will mask, hopefully, for her, the symptoms that are the most bothersome. Let's say she's having really bad hot flashes. Let's say she is 48 years old and her mom went into menopause at 50. I will typically say, let's keep using these birth control pills for the next three to four years. And during that time, it's most likely that you will go into menopause. It is safe for you to continue using those birth control pills until your early 50s. Let's say you want to come off those at age 52. You will come off those birth control pills and then you may immediately develop symptoms of menopause, really bad hot flashes again, maybe trouble sleeping, vaginal dryness, painful intercourse, probably whatever you had before. What that means is your ovaries shut down shop somewhere in those three to four years that you are using those birth control pills in your perimenopausal time to mask those symptoms. If menopause is particularly bothersome or symptomatic, we can always put you on lower postmenopausal doses of hormone replacement therapy so that you continue to feel well. And if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you know that there is no time limit to when you can use postmenopausal hormone therapy. So the takeaway point is using birth control pills will not change or move the date at which you are predestined to go into menopause. It will happen at the time that it's supposed to happen, but hopefully you are feeling symptom-free during that time. Moving on, while I haven't been doing great job of tracking numbers, this is pretty much number nine. You want to think about your past medical history. And specifically, what I want you to think about is postpartum depression, and if you had severe PMS or PMDD, premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, that is when PMS is really particularly severe. If you had either one of those conditions, again, severe PMS or postpartum depression, these are times in which your brain is feeling a big change in the estrogen levels. So postpartum, your estrogen level comes down really far from where it was when you were pregnant. And with PMS, with every cycle as that estrogen is going down right before your period, this can trigger mood symptoms for some people who have PMS. And if it's very severe, we go on to call it PMDD. If you had any of these conditions, this can predispose you to a particularly troublesome perimenopausal time. And it's good to know that because sometimes when I'm with my patients and we look backwards and we connect the dots, they'll say, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. So if you're listening to this and that rings a bell, that's one example. Or if you're a little bit younger, these are things that you might want to think about if you've been diagnosed with postpartum depression or severe PMS. 
The last point that I want to touch about, number 10, is the most important, that you are not alone. So I want you to repeat that to yourself. You're not alone. A lot of women suffer in perimenopause. A lot of women find this time really confusing because they are searching for a diagnosis. Oftentimes, they see lots of doctors during this time. Perhaps you or a friend has seen an endocrinologist because of fatigue or hot flashes. Perhaps you've seen your primary care doctor for weight gain. Perhaps you've even been referred to a psychologist or a psychiatrist for an increase in mood disorders. What I often also see is for women who have baseline borderline depression and anxiety, bipolar or bipolar 1, sometimes these things extremely worsen during perimenopause. You might also have seen cardiologists, you might be getting palpitations, perhaps someone's misdiagnosed your hot flashes, and that's why you're at the cardiologist office. It's very frustrating because you feel yourself transition from being in your 30s or 40s and feeling particularly healthy to all of a sudden having a lot of medical problems. If this isn't you and you're soaring through perimenopause, that's awesome, but it's also important to know what you may experience or what your friends might be experiencing. So you are not alone. I tell my patients this all the time. If you feel, quote, crazy, that's because these things are, again, physiologic. And I want you to share this podcast with others. I want you to share it on Facebook and your social media because I want women to know that this is a condition they should be able to bring to their doctors. And if your doctors can't help you, Seek out care from a NAMS provider, a North American Menopause Society certified practitioner. So you are not alone. If you like this podcast, I recommend you not only share it, please give me a review on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever you listen to this, because the more awareness that you bring, the more this is going to reach other women similar to you and similar to what you might be going through. So I would love your help on this journey to empower women across the country. And I can't do it alone. I need your help. If you have any questions, more things about perimenopause that you want to hear about, or questions that arose from anything I talked about during this podcast, I would love you to send me a message on Facebook, on Instagram, on social media, and I've linked my email as well to many of the sources you can find me on so that I can make sure I've clarified all of this for you. Again, the main points is that perimenopause is that transition to becoming menopausal. It can last one to 10 years and with out a crystal ball, which I wish I had, but I don't, it is going to be hard to tell. You might want to ask your family because your family history might guide you onto what your perimenopause time frame might look like. Common symptoms can be hot flashes, vaginal dryness, weight gain, palpitations, joint aches and pains, worsening mood symptoms, and many others, including worsening migraines and vertigo. You can treat this many ways. One way is by using birth control pills to steady your hormone levels, which are particularly hard to steady in perimenopause and much harder than treating menopause, unfortunately. If you are using birth control pills or some other method, it will not change when you are going to go into menopause. You are going to go into menopause when you are predetermined to. Your past might also be a view into the future. Meaning if you've had postpartum depression, severe PMS or PMDD, these can predispose you to a particularly difficult time during perimenopause. 
And finally, you are not alone. If you are asking yourself what the H-E-L-L is going on with me, there is many women who are going through the same thing. There's lots of support groups. And again, if your doctor is not helpful, look for a NAM certified menopause practitioner because some of our educations all vary. We all want to help you. And so we want to do the best for you to be educated and advocate for yourself. So thank you so much for listening in. I always appreciate your support and I hope that together we can improve women's lives through enhancing their education and promoting their advocacy in their own personal health. Have a great, wonderful rest of your day or evening and I hope you listen in again. Bye.